Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. everybody. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. We so greatly appreciate your spending time and, and listening to our amazing guests that we, we find all over the place. And uh, we, we want you to know that we appreciate it and uh, we value your opinions. So uh, if you go and listen to our YouTube channel and want to leave a comment here or there, we greatly appreciate that as well. want to thank Ken Quiethawk for his amazing intro. If you would like to learn more about him, you can check out www.nativestorytellers.com. He and his wife are, are amazing storytellers, and if you've never listened to any of their um, the Native American stories, uh, you'll be amazed at the fact that they are preserving their history, their cosmology, and their philosophies in a story form that... Um, stays in the memory a lot longer than a textbook would. So check it out. It's a very exciting way of preserving that uh, our textbooks don't do at all. Mark has an amazing show for you tonight. He's got a very unique guest. And uh, as always, it's, it's a topic almost that, uh, that I've never heard about, so I'm going to be fascinated as well as the rest of you. So, Mark, glad to have you here tonight with your guest. Hey, how are How's your week going? So far, so good. Good. Okay. And uh, you can get uh, started with the, um, something else before we, we get into the show. I just wanted to read a quick sentence. Uh, Pure, unspoiled religion in the eyes of God our Father is this, coming to the help of orphans and widows when they need it and keeping oneself uncontrolled uncontaminated by the world. That's from James one nineteen. And just want to say thank you, Randall, for your friendship and see you tomorrow. Uh we don't do a lot of UFO shows, but this week we're doing two. Uh you had a great uh discussion last night about the Rendlesham Forest case. And tonight we're covering a lesser known but 
nonetheless compelling UFO case study. Uh, Andrew Smith is our guest, and Andrew is the executive director of the Braxton County Convention and Visitors Bureau located in Sutton, West Virginia, and he's the curator of the Flatwoods Monster Museum. Uh, he has assisted in TV productions of the um, of this fascinating Flatwoods Monster case. His work was featured on the History and Travel Channels and the Small Town Monster Show. And Andrew was also a presenter at this year's Mothman Festival. Andrew, how are you? I'm doing great, Mark. How are you all doing tonight? Oh, everything's uh, fine here. And because um, we, you know, la last night's show featured, you know, the Rendlesham Forest uh, case in England from, uh, and that happened in 1980. You know, you got, you know, the most famous one is, you know, the Roswell incident in 1947. Um, you know, we get into some, like the, you know, Kecksburg and what, what was it, like 1965. Um, you, you know, this Flatwoods Monster uh, case uh, uh, happened in 1952. Right. Uh, um, okay, we, we can get into the patterns uh, a, a little bit, or it, it, if there are any patterns, uh, you know, a little bit later in the show. But you know, let's recreate what was going on in Flatwoods, West Virginia, on this September 1952 evening, you know, get, you know, give us the setup for the story. Okay, I'd be happy to. Um, it was uh, in the little town of Flatwoods, which is in Braxton County, West Virginia, which is central West Virginia, on uh, September 12, 1952. Uh, this was around um, 7 o'clock in the evening, and... Um, the brothers, Eddie and Freddie May, uh, as well as their friends, um, Neil Nunley, Tommy Heyer, and Ronnie Shaver, uh, were playing on the lawn of the Flatwoods Elementary School. Um, while they were playing, they saw um, what they described as a fireball uh, fly quickly overhead and appear to land on a nearby hilltop uh, just past the Bailey Fisher farm. Uh, which was uh, located uh, about a half mile away. Uh, the group, um, you know, being a uh, a pack of you know young wily kids uh, between the ages of uh, ten and uh, fifteen, uh, decided they better go investigate. Um, so uh, they started heading that way, and um, the uh, the road on the way to the Bailey Fisher farm actually went right by um, the Mayboy's home uh, where their mother Kathleen was. Um, so they stopped and let her know what they were doing and uh, told them they were going to, you know, go up to the Bailey Fisher farm and uh, check out this fireball that landed on the hilltop. And uh, so she decided she better go with them. 
and uh, she also um, thought it would be a good idea to grab um, a uh, family friend um, named uh, Jean Lemon, who was nearby, who was uh, visiting uh, relatives in the area, who was actually a National Guardsman, who I believe was 18 or 19 at the time. Um, so they trekked up on the hill, and as they uh, crossed into the farm and uh, walked across this uh, small pasture field, they go through a gate into the woods where there's a, uh, a footpath that's maybe about as wide as a car or maybe a car might, or a truck, rather, might be able to, to drive up it. And uh, otherwise, they were underneath the forest canopy. So at this point, it's very dark. Mm-hmm. So they're walking slowly toward the top of the hill, and they notice a pulsating red light um, at the top of the hill that shouldn't be there. Um, at, at this point in time in Flatwoods, um, it was a lot less developed than it is now, a lot less lights, um, so it should have been pitch black. So as they're concentrating on this light and slowly making way toward it, uh, a uh, smell fills the air around the group um, that some of the witnesses at the time described as sulfuric uh, in nature. Um, some of them uh, talked about it almost having like a, uh, the best way I can describe it would be like that ozone kind of smell that happens with uh, electrical arcs, um, okay. things like that, like maybe with welding, you know, that kind of a smell, um, which sort of put them at pause. And uh, as they're investigating there, you know, for not long, um, at some point they hear something to their left coming from the woods. They shine a flashlight over there, and what had to be at least 10 feet tall was a creature coming toward them in the woods fairly quietly uh, while uh, appearing to float and uh, glide uh, above the ground while also emitting, emitting like a screeching or hissing sound. And uh, so these, so they, you know, like I said, it had to be at least 10 foot tall because they judged that by, there was a tree nearby that had uh, their lowest branch was about that height. And it seemed to be about as tall as that branch. So they see this thing coming toward them. So they immediately turn tail and run away from the Bailey Fisher farm as quick as they can, run back down to the maze house and frantically uh, place a call to the local dispatch to let them know what had happened and to have authorities uh, come and immediately investigate. Okay. So there are multiple eyewitnesses, and there's actually what uh, one, uh, uh, two, two adults, a mom and a and- uh, enlisted man. Yes. Yeah, Gene Lemon. Okay. So uh, th- th- this isn't just uh, a few, you know, three or four kids, you know, making up a story. This is, you know, this is being witnessed by credible adults. Yeah, and something that I also think has made this case particularly unique and noteworthy, uh, even going back um, then, which even though. You know, in the ni- that early in the 1950s, you know, as you mentioned, Roswell. Um, Roswell is the only other notable, um, really early um, 
sighting occurrence that that sort of predates the Flatwoods monster that I that I know of. I could be wrong about that. Um, but, and then, of course, after that, and getting into like into the mid 50s or so, then it just becomes a rash of sightings. So I think what one of the things that propelled the Flatwoods monster into um, to a lot of its media exposure that it got at the time was because it was a rare occurrence and because of the mix of uh, of the group seeing it. Um, you know, it's a, it's a lot of different people coming from kind of a lot of different backgrounds that would seem to indicate that the possibility of them all being in cahoots uh, would be very low. Um, and at the same time, um, you know, having a lone um, witness that, you know, could possibly be making up a story for the road notoriety also seems low. So I think that's one of the things that initially gave us so much credibility because uh, it did make national news at the time. Um, but you're right, though, as time went on, you know, going into the 50s and that there was a rash of other sightings and that, uh, you know, sci-fi movies at that point started becoming really big. Um, you know, Flatwoods Monster did get kind of lost in the in the wash a little bit um, and lost some of its spotlight. Um, but yeah, at the time, I do think that's what uh, what created that interest. Okay. Well, there was the Phoenix Lights case in... 1997, <clears throat> some, somewhere about there, yeah, mm-hmm. there were multiple eyewitnesses. Oh yeah. Uh, to that, so yeah, you know, the backgrounds that you, you know, you're talking about, <clears throat> uh, make it a believable case. And there were also uh, a number of drawings that people, the, the eyewitnesses did, that are all very similar. Uh, yeah. Can, can, can we talk about uh, that for a minute? Sure. Um, I know that I have seen um, three different eyewitness drawings taken uh, at <laughs> the time. Uh, although I do believe all of them to have been done by the children, although I'm not 100% sure. Um, and I only know that one, at at least, was recorded to a specific individual, and that was Freddie Mays. Um, I've seen his because in his drawing, he actually signed his name under it. Um, so that's how I know that he's the one that did it. Um, and also I, I know Freddie, so I've been able to ask him about that. And um, so I have confirmed that he did that one. But, yeah, if you look at all, there's, like I said, there's three that I know of. Now, keep in mind, you know, they're all children, and none of them are artists uh, by any stretch. But if you line up all of their um, drawings, they're strikingly similar. Really the only thing that changes is uh, slight changes in proportion and then maybe what you could call texture. Um, Because it was described as being this, you know, having this large round red colored head with a shape that either surrounded it or was behind it that's not real real clear that was almost like a spade shape and then a dark body that extended down um so uh like all all three 
have you know show that all those same shapes. There's only one that I can think of that really has a notable difference, and that's one where the head almost looks like it has like instead of being perfectly round and smooth, it almost appears to have like a a wiggly um, outside line. But otherwise, it, the overall shape is still circular. Okay, and you, you know you met uh, Freddie. What mm-hmm. uh, approaching? What sixty some years later? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whenever uh, I first met him, it was probably fifty, or it was probably sixty-three at least years later. Okay. Um, what it, it was the impact on him th- throughout his life? Well, I, I honestly think that, um, you know, he, he went on to have, uh, you know, a normal life, you know, for the most part, as well as his brother, um, Ed, who I've, I've not gotten to talk to, but, you know, um, Fred and I have, um, have talked about Eddie. Um, but, um, but he went on to have, you know, relatively normal life. Um, however, I do think, um, the, the, uh, you know, the experience that he had did, uh, in a lot of ways shape the whole entirety of the rest of his life and probably shape, uh, shaped, you know, how he, how almost how he looks at the world. Um, but like I said, but he's, he's a very reserved man. Um, so he, I, I think I feel like he keeps a lot, you know, sort of close to the chest. Um, but uh, but you know, otherwise ended up leading a fairly normal life. Um, he was married, still is married. Um, he ended up having one son um, and uh, had a pretty uh, fruitful career his whole life and retired. Um, so so otherwise. Um, you know he's managed to to have just a perfectly fine life, but like I said, those experiences that he had on that uh, hilltop that night, I really do think, in one way or another, did a, did affect the rest of his life and everybody that was involved. Okay, and dur- during uh, Barbara's show last night, uh, Jim, the guest, was talking about. Uh, some of the uh, uh, physical effects that um, the the eyewitnesses had being so close to the uh, uh, the phenomenon that was going on. And and they they experienced uh, this, like, static electricity, Feeling and they had uh, you know, uh, nightmares later on. It, what, was that a little bit of a pattern that um, yeah, got started in 1952, or you know, did they not have any kind of physical effects? Yeah, like they that? they did. They did um, to the extent to which they were, um, you know, actually affected by them. I'm not 100% sure. Um, when you look back and read reportings from the time, they seem um, rather um, severe. Uh, but when I spoke to Freddie, 
you know, in more recent years, you know, he, when he talks about him, he seems to act as act and talk as if that they may have been exaggerated um, somewhat. But I also think a part of that could be, you know, like I said, he's a rather humble man. Um, he, you know, he doesn't really think of himself as anything special. So I, I think he might also have the inclination to to downplay um, something as well. I mean, I'm not saying that he did, um, but uh, but I think that that could be a possibility. But I know in early reportings of the um, you know of the uh, experience, um, witnesses talked about you know that smell lingering in the air, causing uh, nausea and headaches um, that. Uh, that were reported to last uh, for days. Um, I don't know of any sort of really um, severe or, um, or or any sort of life-threatening um, side effects from it or anything like that, but that the physical effect seemed to be very real um, and mostly consisted of, like I said, um, you know, problems with, uh, uh, with nausea, problems that affected, you know, their stomach and their, uh, their respiratory uh, system and uh, things of that nature, and headaches. Okay. When yeah, the 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 boys, Mrs. May and you know, the um, uh, um, army guy, you know, were at the at, at the. Uh, Bailey Fisher farm did 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 they see an actual craft you know is there any kind of markings on it you know we heard a little bit about you know there were some markings on you know, the um Rundlesham forest um, you know uh, phenomenon that you know that was ha- happening you know was there it's some kind of distinctive markings from the Flatwoods case? Well, I'll tell you, when it comes to a craft, that actually is where it kind of gets into a little bit of um, disparity, depending on what reports you read and, and when they're given. Um, <clears throat> if, if now, and, and again, Freddie wasn't all the way at the front of the pack, you know, keep him in mind, I'm pretty sure that Gene Lemon headed the pack, and it would make the most sense because he would have been, you know, the most physically fit and that sort of thing, cause where Freddie would have been you know, 11, um, at the time. Uh, but, but he said that he never saw a craft other than the, hmm. the, the pulsing red light, which made him presume, um, that, that there was something up there, maybe something, you know, craft or whatever it was he saw in the sky. Um, and, but then, uh, uh, there were some reports from the time, like I said, from 52 that, do, that does mention, um, a craft that, I think they describe as almost like, um, for lack of a better word, um, egg-shaped, um, like um, sh- being smooth, um, but definitely not being like a sphere, you know, not being a perfect sphere, uh, but maybe being oblong in nature. Um, yeah. But that the only thing I've ever heard associated with those reports is that whatever it was was smooth and glowing red. Okay, so it, it, yeah, that is you know, kind of it's segueing to you know my next question was, 
since Braxton County is in a really remote region, sparsely mm-hmm. populated, what it's an hour, hour and a half south of or Clarksburg, that's you know the biggest city to the north, and what an hour, you know, forty-five minutes from Charleston. Yeah, there's you know really not too many people in the area. Is there a reason why if this happened to be a spacecraft, mm-hmm. is it crash? Did did it crash land in in this area, or was it going? Can we chart a course that it was following to another destination? Well, I know in in Frank Faschino's book, um, he tracked um, or or was able to track in his research. um, You know, again, I don't know if it's bulletproof or not, um, but as I, you know, I've never verified it myself. Um, but but he tracks uh, sightings um, of these uh, crafts uh, from you know Washington D.C. Um, and then and then more um, I guess it would be a, a westerly direction. And um, I know that his hypothesis is that that there was actually a whole fleet of these vessels and that some were shot down. Um, you know, I don't know if that's accurate or not. The the majority of what I've done is just looking at old um, reports um, from the time that specifically talk about um, the Flatwoods incident, and and then the little bit of talking I've I've done with Freddie May. Um, so I'm not, you know, super um, familiar with that, um, but. It would kind of stand to reason, um, but so so that that's one hypothesis. Could be another hypothesis that um, that you know they're looking for a place to set down, or maybe or maybe to crash land, uh, maybe for some other reason, and then maybe based on say whatever they may know about Earth or wherever they are, you know that maybe this seems like a, parse, a sparsely populated area that maybe it might be a good place to sit down. Um, but I would almost think that it would need to be a slightly uncontrolled landing for that. And the reason why is, um, you know, for as sparsely populated as, as our area is, you know, you can go just a mile or two you know, east or west, away from Flatwoods, and be literally in the middle of a forest where there's almost nobody. Uh, whereas Flatwoods, even though it's a small rural town with not a big population, it's certainly more populated than the very middle of the woods. Um, so, so you know, so so that would either lead me to think that it wasn't the perfect place to put down, like you said, if these are, um, if this is an extraterrestrial vehicle. Um, so that would lead me to believe it was almost like a half to situation more than a um more than a get to if that makes sense mm-hmm. um, okay. but again that's purely speculation um that makes sense so however though um oddly enough 
um, whenever the maze uh, called the emergency number to get the sheriff dispatched um, to their area, it actually took the sheriff and his deputy uh, some time to get the Flatwoods because they were out on another call um, near Gasaway where there was a report of a plane uh, crashing into a hillside um, that they never found any evidence of. Um, so that, to me, tells me that whatever aerial phenomenon they saw in Flatwoods, that perhaps they could also witness in Gasaway, or that maybe there was a separate incident that happened in the Gasaway area that brought enough attention to have you know, folks call and have um, – you know, instead of if their first reaction wasn't to run toward it, but to rather call authorities, you know, that makes sense to me that the sheriff was called and was already on scene there looking for something else that, that they never found. Um, and again, whether that was the same thing, the same aerial phenomenon, or a completely separate event is still unsure and unclear. Um, but that would, that would um, also lend a little bit of um, evidence toward the idea that it was a multi-vehicle multi, um, incident. Okay, and okay, so for 70 years, this plane that uh, crashed into a hillside has never been found. It, uh, uh, you know, we also have you know, uh, uh, you know the bashful Billy case almost at mm -hmm. the same time here in you know, uh, the northern panhandle uh, it, so right there are three uh crafts you know, mm -hmm. vessels identified or uh, reported uh, just about the same. Not, it's all about the same time. Yeah. Now yeah, I've I've tried to research the Bashville Billy case, and I've not been able to find too many particulars or too many you know really good details, other than some sort of general uh, descriptions mm -hmm. and reporting. Right. But yes, you're right. It. I mean, it, the as far as timeline goes, if I'm not mistaken, it's like within the, a day or so is when those reports were made. And the description of whatever it was was seen being really large also seems to jive with the uh, uh, the Flatwoods Monster story. You know, I, 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 this is... It, I, I'm just, you know, kind of wondering if, the, you know, like, you know, with Frank uh, Ficino's research, if there was a like some kind of flight path that can be <laughs> charted for these three vessels, uh, it, it's uh, you know, just very interesting to ponder uh, where. The final destination was. Yeah, and, and yeah. You get uh, apparently all three are shot down. So that that almost sounds like the Battle of L.A. from uh, uh, almost what ten, ten years earlier. 
uh, and you know, this really isn't you know uh, being reported on until or it's it just you know uh, being rediscovered now. Okay. But it, 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 it's a very, it's a very interesting uh, case. Yeah, I'll have to look at that. I've 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 heard that mentioned before, but I've not researched it um, much myself. That was Battle of L.A. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will yeah, look into that. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I, that's what it sounds like. Uh, Barbara, have you heard that? No, but um, it is interesting. Okay. Well, I'll just. Uh, uh, it, it was, you know, it 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 is very interesting. So I I just there's three crashes that have, have been documented uh, just five years after Roswell. I, uh, okay, so the the and when we get to the description of the Flatwoods monster and you know uh, we can get into you know the nickname Braxy in 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 a minute but it is the spade like helmet um just uh a singular example, or have, have there been other documented uh, similar descriptions? As far as I know, you know, a, a creature or, or you know, uh, a figure that's been described with that spade-like head. The only time I've ever had that be specifically attributed to any um, encounter was the September 12th um, sighting. Now there was a supposedly another sighting that took place on September 13th um, okay. in Braxton County. Um, however, the, the really one of the only things that I shouldn't say one of the only things, but something that does um, put a little bit of doubt in my mind um, about the authenticity of the case is that it wasn't reported until three years later. Um, yeah. But um, there was a. Um, a supposed sighting that took place um, just inside of the Braxton County line, or or possibly just inside the Braxton County line. The witnesses, the witness said um, that the only thing he could recall for sure was that he was between the town of Clay, which is in Clay County, and um, the town of Gasaway, uh, which is a pretty big stretch on uh, Route Four. It's probably. I don't know, maybe at least 50 miles, uh, if not more than that. Um, but uh, but his um, case, um, actually, would you, if you if you'd like, I could actually tell you a little bit about that case because okay. he he has a whole lot of detail in it, um, and that's another thing that that almost gives a little bit of a hesitation for me to take the story at face value because it's almost like. It's so much detail, and it's almost like the, it, the, there's a possibility that somebody read, you know, the Flatwoods account and then maybe punched it up a little and made it a little bit crazier. Um, but uh, nonetheless, it's a very um, interesting story. 
Um, and the, the story goes that um, George and Edith, Edith Snitowski, um were driving uh, back to their home in New York City uh, from visiting family in Cleveland, uh, Ohio. And, uh, of course, this is pre-interstates, um, so you'd pretty much be limited to two-lane highways and byways um, anyway, but that um, their goal was to drive as many uh, you know, back roads and see as many small towns as possible on their way back home. Um, so as they're taking this uh, drive um, and uh, going through uh, Clay County and then up into Braxton County on Route 4, uh, going along the Elk River, um, they, they're they they're driving along and their, their infant son is in the back. And it's, it's, it's at night and they experience car trouble. And the the car is wanting to sort of stop and and sputter, so um, George pulls the car over to the side of the road, and um, while he's uh, you know once they get pulled over, gets out of the car and lifts up the hood and starts inspecting the car to see if he can tell if anything is wrong. And as far as he can tell, while he's looking at it, everything is fine, and. Um, so while he's outside, you know, scratching his head, trying to figure out, you know, what's wrong, um, he notices in the woods a bright light. Um, and for some reason, um, he feels compelled to walk toward it and investigate it. Um, but as he does, he says that the closer he gets to the light, the closer he starts feeling as if he's being uh, poked by like a thousand small needles. Um, and gets this sensation of uh, you know, you know, this 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 tingling sensation all over his body that he said grows more intense as he gets closer to the light. So as he gets so close, he begins to get uncomfortable and turn around and and walk back. But as he's walking back, um, his wife lets out a scream, um, which causes him to try to figure out what she's screaming about. And then eventually he, he ends up figuring out that whatever's bothering her is behind him. So she, he turns and looks, and um, against the silhouette of this bright light, he can see this figure uh, that he described as roughly um, 8 to 10 feet tall. And uh, hmm. what he described as from the waist up uh, almost appearing you know, man-like or, or humanoid, but from the waist down, or what he would call the waist, um, was this kind of triangular um, – shape uh, or 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 uh, maybe cone like or maybe between like what you would think of as a cone and what you think of as a cylinder on the bottom and appearing to float um so as he sees this you know he's incredibly frightened oh another thing i forgot to mention is he also uh, one of the things that makes him want to turn around and come back is he also smells you know an awful smell that makes him feel uh, nauseated so you know, another reason why he turned up to come back so as he sees this figure, he's struck with fear as it's coming toward him. So he gets in the car, um, gets gets Edith, puts her in the back, and lays her down over their infant son, and he lays down over top of them. And as he cowers there for what, you know, he, he said could have been minutes, could have been seconds. He's not really sure. Um, but he gets enough bravery to poke his head up that he sees this figure standing in front of the car with his hand uh, touching the car. Um, so, 
puts his head back down just waiting for you know this whatever this is to open up the door and attack him or something along that nature and uh but before too long he picks his head back up and there's no figure there he looks into the woods and there's no light um so he and his wife get themselves together as best they can and get back in their seats and he starts the car and it starts up just fine and he starts driving and according to his report he just drives into Sutton where he finds a uh, a diner uh in a with an attached hotel and just stays the night there and has supper and then leaves the next day uh, but like i said his story wasn't reported until 1955 um but oddly enough, um, the story um, print was printed, and I think only uh, printed once, in a now defunct magazine that was called Mail Magazine, uh, Mail like uh, you know, M A L E, um, which would be almost like a, like a, it was described as a men's fitness uh, or men's health magazine, um, from what I've looked up um, about it. Um, but as far as I know, he's not given any other interviews. And I know that in Frank Fraschino's book, you know, he mentions his story and recounts it, and, and rather, uh, you know, rather detailed, uh, and mentions that he reached out to um, George and was able to find him, I think, in a phone book of all places, and uh, I think still in New York City, um, was was able to contact him, ask if that was the same George, and he said yes, and he asked if he could interview him, and George said no. He said whatever. You know what I said in that article was all that happened, and there's not any more or any less. That's that's what it is. He said so you can take that and run with it, and then that's it. As far as I know, I think that's all he ever he spoke to Frank. Um, however, there is one thing that that lends some credence to his story. At least I feel like so this is a this is a bizarre uh, twist in the story and. You know whether or not it just turns out to be some sort of trick of the mind. It's there's a possibility of that, but it's an, it adds an incredible wrinkle to the story. And that is, um, it was a couple of years ago or so that a lady that I go to church with came up to me and said, "You know, you do stuff with the Flatwoods monster, right?" And I said, "Yeah." And then she said, "She said my brother saw that." I said, "Oh yeah, who's your brother?" So she told me his name, and it was a name I'd never heard of before. So I thought, well, that's odd that there's a witness that I've never heard of. So at some point later, I asked her to clarify because that was just in passing. So she told me a little bit, and that still didn't make any sense. She was telling me about when they lived in Strange Creek, uh, which is a small community um, along that route. Um, it's pretty much smack dab in the middle between um, Ivydale, which is in Clay County, and Gassaway. Uh, which is in Braxton, and uh, she said that her brother saw the monster there. And again, this didn't ring any bells. Um, I didn't know what they could be talking about. So I asked her, I said, do you think um, your brother would be willing to talk to me if I called him on the phone? And she said, oh, yeah, I'm sure. So she gave me his phone number, so then I called him. And um, he was he was fine with talking to me, but he didn't have any interest in being recorded or to have his name put out there or anything like that. Um, but he said that he would tell me his story. So this is his story. Um, so I think in maybe the year 2000 or so, uh, this gentleman bought Frank's book about the Flatwoods Monster okay. and was sitting down to read it. 
and he was more or less he just bought it because it had to do with where you know the area where he was from so he was just curious had no other interest in it other than that so he's reading the book and when it gets to the area that has to do with George Natowski well Frank did his best based off of George Natowski's um description of the, what he saw to draw it because Frank is an illustrator so he drew what he best he could you know do based on the description he drew what um George said he saw and put it in the book so he's reading and he gets to that picture and he said immediately he was just struck and and was almost like in a panic and he said he dropped the book fell on the floor he didn't know what was happening to him but he just felt uh, over overwhelmed and overcome so after he sort of got himself together he picked back up the book and he started he was just looking at the picture and was trying to figure out what's rattling him so bad um so as he's looking at it he says you know comes or comes to him rather i've seen this before like this thing that's drawn in this book i have seen before so again he just keeps thinking and thinking and thinking and he comes to this notion in, in this memory that he feels like at some point has been locked away in his brain that he hadn't had access to until he saw this picture and that he, he says this is what i think happened he said he said looking at the timeline i'd had been 3 years old Said which would blow his mind if he could actually remember that and if he's actually remembering it right. But this is the best as he could describe. So he was little and woke up sometime, you know, in the middle of the night after he should have already been asleep and it was dark out. And he knew, and all the rest of his family was asleep. So that's the only way, timeline wise, he really knows. He doesn't know what time it was. He just knows everybody's asleep and it's after dark. So I'm thinking some any time between maybe 10 or 11 o'clock till as late as, you know, five or six in the morning. So he's woken up out of his bed and and gets out of his gets out of his bed and walks in his bedroom and walks to a window and says that he saw this same thing that was represented in this book walking through their property. And he was immediately scared and was trying to find anybody to tell. He said, but Everybody was asleep. All their doors were shut. And he has, I think he told me at the time he would have had four, I think, sisters and, of course, his two parents. But everybody was asleep. All their doors were shut. And he knew that if he'd wake anybody up, he'd get in trouble. Um, so he didn't want to do that. So he just went back to bed, calmed himself down. Actually, first, I think, checking the window to make sure whatever it was wasn't there anymore, and it wasn't. So he laid back down, got himself calmed down, went to sleep. Uh, he said and that's all he can really recall after seeing this photo. So, you know, it's kind of got him upset, and he's unsettled for a couple of days. So he decides, well, he's got to call his oldest sister and see, you know, tell somebody to get it off his chest. So he calls her and, you know, basically tells you everything I just told you. And she says, so what do you think? You know, am I crazy? Uh, you know, what's going on? Should I, you know, what do you think? And she said, you know, it's really funny. You mentioned that. She said, I can remember whenever you were really little, like a toddler or a little bit older, you would talk on and on about some monster, and you did it for weeks on end, that you saw some monster, and that it was scary. She said, but at a certain point, you stopped talking about it, and we just all assumed that either 
you saw something somewhere like in a book or you had a bad dream or something so we just didn't take it seriously she said but you would go on and on about seeing some monster and that's something he had completely you know he didn't know or remember um so that just seems incredibly compelling to me um that that would give this some credence because it's about the same place where this sighting took place or if nothing else maybe it's you know related in another way you know maybe there's the you know, a third creature, a third landing, you know, who knows? Um, so that's just something that I've always thought was incredibly compelling or at least interesting as, a, as kind of a footnote to the Flatwoods monster story. It, 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 w- w- with the numerous um, eyewitnesses that you've uh, mentioned all from around the same time. Did any of them have uh, like uh, the uh, uh, regression therapy to uh, re- remember more distinctly? Yeah, as far as I know, I don't think anybody ever did anything like that, but but i think that that makes complete sense because you know you have a, a a bunch of witnesses who um you know i would say at the time when it took place i'd say about half the community believed them and maybe maybe the other half you know didn't and you know the other half that didn't um even if it wasn't all of them you know but enough people were vocal and enough people were ostracizing enough that you know they it wasn't too long before the attention wasn't something that they liked you know the attention was mostly negative um mm-hmm. on their life so uh, and and it was a scary event that happened to them so i th- i think that they felt like the less they talked about it the less they thought about it the better off they were going to be um and then i think too that that makes perfect sense for them to even keep it up to their whole lives cuz we're talking about people that are from you know central west virginia um and and from that generation you know i can't imagine that their first inclination is going to be to you know sort of you know sort of get in touch with repressed memories or anything like that you know the best way to deal with trauma is just to forget about it um so i think there's a lot of that um or it may have even been something that maybe they didn't know was an option maybe they never heard of it maybe nobody ever approached them with it and like I said, really early on, you know, these these folks more or less tried to stay out of out of the limelight because once the limelight turned sour for them, you know, they really didn't want any more. Um, so, so that they would seek anything like that out would be unlikely, or that any experts maybe could get a hold of them to do something like that would be unlikely. So, like I said, as far as I know, nothing like that's been done, um, and I just don't think they would have any interest in it. Like I know to quote um, Ed, um, or no, I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, Ed May is that you know if you talk to him, he wishes the whole thing never would have happened, uh, that he'd never have to talk about it again. Um, you know, he he wishes it never would have happened. He, he thinks his life would have been far better off. Okay, and 
Another unique aspect of this case, which um, could leave an impact, more of a uh, scar, like you're just saying about it, uh, is what what almost seems to be like the uh, bioluminescence aspect of. Uh, the Flatwoods monster is like you know, uh, it's like a lightning bug. It would fall mm. into like that bioluminescent category, and it just kind of g- generates light out of itself. And you get like yeah. what some of those uh, eels that live in uh, total darkness at the you know deepest parts of the ocean. Uh, but, you know, there are some uh, documented cases of, uh, like, flying humanoids that have that same, have been described as having the same aspect. And, uh, you know, I'm sure, sure we, you know, we'll probably dovetail into the, the Mothman and, in a little bit, you know, there's a little bit of that aspect uh, to it as well. But yeah, I, I'm, is, you know, how, how's that bioluminescence fit into this case? You know, may, maybe it did have some, you know, real, you know, it was so freaky uh, that, that it you know really did have an impact on Ed May. Yeah. Uh, well, the only thing that I know of for sure is that, you know, th- they knew that they could see the color red in the face, um, but that the rest of the body remained nearly, I believe the quote would be like nearly colorless, like like it, like devoid of light. So I'm assuming black or, or near black, but that the face itself was red and, and it's, it would be very dark um in the woods when they saw it so that would contribute to not being able to see color too but that they could specifically see red so whether or not that red was glowing or was just bright enough that it was obvious i don't know but the the part that that i know for sure that they mentioned you know uh light is in in what they could only describe as the eyes um so that the eyes appeared to glow um, I know that that Fred, when he talks about it now, he describes that the eyes almost being – it's not like that they were necessarily shooting out like light beams, like a flashlight, but that it was almost revealing a light that was within, um, mm-hmm. you know, like inside of the those, these eyes or the sockets or whatever it was um, to where it's producing its own light. So whether that's a bioluminescence or whether that was some sort of, you know um, – technology that whatever they saw was you know wrapped itself in or whether whatever they saw was a piece of technology itself um it's it's hard to say um but that's i know um a a part of the um flatwoods monster that's that's been given the attribute of glowing was the eyes okay and in the drawings that um, you know, were done by the eyewitnesses. Um, the 
uh, poster that people can get w- w- with a purchase. At, at the, you know, we have to get into you know, do, doing some plugs here in a uh, second, but in in, in the um, uh, uh, artists yeah, the, the who ha- had yeah. some of their uh, uh, paintings. Uh, uh, at, at, at the Mothman Festival, uh, you know they do uh, depict Braxy as being clothed. Uh, you don't have like a whole lot of um, ET uh, cases with clothing. You know, they're, they're they're more kind of like yeah. naked, and it's, it's, sometimes you get you know, like a little bit of. Uh, descriptions of some wearing, uh, like the Greys wearing suits, but uh, uh, this seems like it's more of like uh, uh, wearing like almost like a curtain. Yeah. Yeah, that was was one, I believe that descriptor came from Kathleen. Um, Kathleen described uh, the, that the bottom of of what of the figure that they saw appeared to show like drape like folds. Um, whether or not she meant that just whatever she saw kind of took the shape of a drape like fold, uh, but were maybe actually rigid, or whether it was actually fabric, is not clear. Um, when you look at the the drawing that was made based off of her testimony, um, and the one you're referring to was actually made by a by a uh, sketch artist in um, uh, New York, uh, New York City, and the reason why that was done is um, she was actually attending a television show that was also simulcast as a radio show at the time, and in order to have some kind of imagery um, to present while she was on the show, uh, they sat her down with a police sketch artist to come up you know, with the best amalgamation that they could of, uh, you know, from her testimony. So that's what influenced that. And when you look at that drawing, I think you definitely get the uh, impression that it's fabric. Um, but whether or not that's what the artist necessarily you know, uh, intended or whether that's what Kathleen May even intended, um, I'm not sure. Um, because you know, something I always try to keep in mind is that um, you know, when you're dealing with, with eyewitnesses, particularly when they aren't artists, um, you know, they can only give so much. Um, you know, I actually have a background in art, um, so it kind of makes me a little bit sensitive to this, is that, you know, they can only give sort of what they can give. They can only give what their vocabulary can allow them to give um, in their sort of understanding of physical space and physical objects and, and then trying to render that in a drawing or a sculpture. You know, that translation is, is hard, and there's going to be gaps um, so uh, that's the thing that I, I actually often wonder is I look at that drawing, I look at the illustrations done by um, by Ficino based off of eyewitness testimony, and I often am curious, you know, how much of that is actual precise description given by witnesses and how much of that is having to sort of fill in the blanks or fill in the space between this thing that was specifically described and this thing that was specifically described and, and join them. You know, what are you going to join them with? Um, mm-hmm. So so that's something I often worry about. But, yeah, you're right. You know, 
there, there does seem to be an element of clothing or armor or something along those lines that's definitely unique, to say the least. It's like what you said earlier in describing the monster. It's it was the head uh, shaped like the Ace of Spades, or was that that Ace of Spades shape like a, a collar of this? Uh, you know, the clothing you know behind his head. Uh, you know, we uh, you know get a few people just kind of having a quick glance. Yeah. Yeah, you know, your memory isn't perfect, but you know, right. you know, but but there seems to be something that was seen uh not you know, what uh not long after when they uh do the drawings that you know there there was everyone saw uh, the you know, kind of like the same thing. So it, it's, it, uh, it, I think you're touching on some of the unique aspects of what makes the the, the Flatwoods Monster case so much different than several other ones. You know, kind of like in the same uh, fifteen year period between mm-hmm. Roswell and. And to say Kecksburg as a, another yeah. regional uh, example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, shoot, I had a thought, but it went away. Oh, um, I will tell you the way Freddie remembers it. Um, so this is, and so this is taking into account. Freddie remembering it for 65 plus years, you know, and and hoping the best for that to be accurate, and 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 not really having the ability to see if that jives with any other eyewitnesses, because like I said, I've never been able to speak with them, or they've you know passed away before my interest peaked in it. But the way that he describes that that shape is that it's definitely you know that spade shape, but the way that he recalled it is it's actually a thing that surrounded. What he, what he would call the you know the head shape that it actually surrounded front and back all the way around and that it that it seemed to be um, transparent but yet not enough so that it's invisible um, you know it's definitely still there it's definitely some, some some sort of structure but that he could see through to the head so f- for him and the best as he can describe it it's not a thing behind um, but again trying to one be a witness that relays that to an artist and then two be an artist that can actually put that down on paper you know there's just so many filters that it has to get through to hope that it's accurate on the other side uh, but uh, so but you know specifically that's you know you mentioned that shape specifically and that's something that Freddie actually told me really recently actually um, he said that that him talking to me and knowing me has kind of made him thinking about it a little bit more than he had in the past so um, actually the last time I was uh, last time he was in the area he stopped by and, and talked to me, and we we were able we, we weren't able to talk for very long, unfortunately, because he was actually in the mood to to talk about it, and that's not common. Uh, but I was actually just about to go out the door with my wife to go do a um, 
you know, family um, get-together. Um, so I couldn't talk about him long, but that's one thing he was able to impart to me before uh, I left. Uh, it, it's you're bringing up a, a very valid point. I, it's all part of the mystery that um, really needs to be developed. Mm. So, okay, and you know we're ha- halfway through. You know, we you know, just did the first hour. Um, you know, might as well. Uh, take a second for you know the listeners as well as you know the people uh, tuning in on the archives uh, tomorrow or uh, in the future. You know, uh, what's your website? How they uh, find you know, find more videos about uh, you know the recreations of. Uh, the, the 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 Flatwoods monster. You, you have some on your website, and uh, yeah, uh, you know how, how they find out you know, the uh, location of the museum, and and just uh, pl- pl- let's take a minute to plug all that. Okay. Um, well, I'll tell you a good a good way to start would just be to um, visit braxi dot com, and that's b r a x x i e two X's to make it extra spooky and, and spacey. Um, or uh, if not that, if that's something that doesn't stick um, in your brain real well, you could visit um, flatwoodsmonstermuseum.com. Um, so both of those URLs will get you more or less to the same place on our website. Um, so there you, it'll be a jumping off point to um, you know everything that, that sort of I have or that we have um, in association with the Flatwoods Monster as well as um, links um, off-site to uh, other places to check out, um, as well as info on the uh, Monster Museum, uh, which is located in downtown Sutton, um, just uh, three, three or four miles south of Flatwoods, by the way, the crow flies, um, on Main Street at 208 Main Street. And uh, the museum is actually open seven days a week, um, weekdays uh, from 9 to 5 and weekends uh, 10 to 4. Uh, we do close for some major holidays, but they're like, you know, Christmas, Christmas Eve, Thanksgiving, New Year's, Easter. Um, and that's actually about it. Um, and then if there's anybody willing to work any of those days, you know, they're more than welcome. Um, so uh, you never know. So, uh, uh, but I, I do always also recommend that if, if you want to plan a trip there and you just want to be safe, you know, feel free to call and make sure that we'll be open. That's always fine too. Um, and um, and if you're interested, be sure to um, to like us on Facebook at Flatwoods Monster Museum or on Twitter. We're not incredibly active there, but uh, we're trying, and that's uh, at Monster Museum. Um, so uh, you know, like us and follow us there. Um, and I will mention too. I'd be remiss if I didn't. Um, the uh, the author and paranormal investigator Dave Spinks is actually going to be at our museum on November 23rd, um, which is a uh, Saturday from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. And he's going to be set up doing a book signing um, and selling his books, um, which include you know all things paranormal. He's he's written books and did investigations that had to do with hauntings, uh, UFOs, 
Bigfoot, and he actually just wrote a book that was just published called, um, I believe it's called Real West Virginia UFOs, and um, we actually just got that in stock, and he's going to um, have them there to sign, and he's actually nice enough to reach out to me to ask me if I would write a little blurb um, of my thoughts on the Flatwoods Monster that he, he included in there. Um, so, uh, so if you want to come see Dave, and he's actually been, he's been on many TV shows on, on the History Channel, on the Travel Channel, um, released a lot of um, stuff himself. Uh, he, he actually live streams a lot of his investigations and things online and, and on uh, YouTube. Uh, so really interesting guy there. Um, I think I about covered anything. If there's anything you want me to add on later or what, now uh, or whatever, you know, feel free to what, let me know. I, I, uh, Andrew, you just had what, uh, Sherry Brake there. Yeah. She's one of the leading paranormal authors in West Virginia, and you know, she's uh, you know, doing ghost uh, tours of uh, the Ohio Reformatory and uh, other destinations in oh, yeah. you know, like the northeastern Ohio area of what's her website uh, uh hauntedhistory.net i think uh but yeah and she she's at the trans allegheny lunatic asylum uh has, you know has a book on it yeah she she she's uh you know top uh paranormal investigator too and you know, so it, oh yeah she she was just there what last weekend does, does, yeah, does she yeah, have yeah this a, past a, 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 yeah uh, uh, does she have an upcoming date for over the winter I don't know, but I do know. I think I think your website that you mentioned of hers is right. If not, I'm sure a Google of Sherry Brake, and I think it's Sherry with an I, and then Brake like the brakes on your car. Um, uh, she does have a website, so I'm sure if you Google it, that'll probably be the first thing that pops up. But yes, yeah, she does uh, paranormal and haunting tours. Um, I know she, all over West Virginia, but also all over the world. I think that she does some uh, in Ireland, and that mm-hmm. they you know commonly sell out quick. Uh, so yeah, we were. She asked me earlier this month if she could stop in, and um, she was doing she was doing travels that were just taking her through the area, so it'd be convenient for her if she could stop and do a book signing there. So we we set that up. So we try to do you know stuff like that um, whenever we can because you know it's good for everybody involved. You know she helps shed light on what we're doing, and you know if there's anybody that sort of follows us, we kind of help shed light on her. Um, so we like to do that anytime we can. So uh, definitely um, keep a close tabs on, on us on Facebook for anything like that. Because anytime we can uh, put something like that together, we try to. There's another very prolific author in West Virginia named George Dudding, who's written I think I know over 50 books uh, on various topics. And but he he wrote a Flatwoods Monster book that we actually just got in stock. Um, and for the longest time, I couldn't, and I couldn't figure it out why. But every time I saw him, I'd bug him. But anyway, um, we're talking on having him come do a book signing sometime soon too. I just don't have a date for it yet. So, you know, if you follow us on Facebook, you'll hopefully be seeing something about that within the next couple of weeks. Okay. And um, you, know, you have a lot of uh, T-shirts. Renee just loves. Uh, her hoodie, and she 
she sleeps oh, cool. in it. <laughs> and <laughs> another interesting um, aspect of you know, like the T-shirts you have there, and, and some of the um, like toy displays is yeah. the the uh, Japanese interest in the Flatwoods Monster. Yes. I, 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 uh, where does that come from? That, uh, you know, that was uh, something I, I wasn't expecting. It's like cool. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, what's what's the scoop on that? Yeah, it was a, that was a surprise to me too. And it's actually I'm learning more and more about that every day because uh, it's still somewhat of a mystery. Um, I actually had a, a visitor uh, come uh, visit us last, not this past. September, but September of 2018, and her name was uh, first name was Ray, I think, or Re, and I can't pronounce her last name, and I don't know that she would want me to say it anyway. But um, she um, she visited us uh, last year. Um, she originally from Japan, but had lived in the U- U.S. for the last 15 years, uh, but now lives in California. Um, but she visited us because um, she had always. She was familiar for, from a really early age of that drawing of the Flatwoods Monster, the, the famous one that you talked about earlier, That's that poster that we have at our museum. And um, But she didn't really know the story, and she happened to see uh, you know, something written uh, in Japanese, of all things, uh, online that actually referenced the story and referenced the museum and that sort of thing. So she looked into it, and she planned a trip, and... Uh, flew out from uh, California and stayed with us for a few days. So while she was there, anytime she came in, she we had tremendous, you know, tremendous and long conversations. And at the time, she wasn't really sure how um, the Flatwoods Monster came to be so well known in Japan, or the at least the image of the Flatwoods Monster. She said the story of the Flatwoods Monster was far less familiar. Um, than the image itself. So she's actually been doing research, and she and I have become a little bit of pen pals. Um, so I actually just got an email from her two days ago where she's been doing research. And um, so she's been you know, telling me more and more about it. And I'm actually going to sift through an email right now to see um, um, what she told me. So she said right now she's currently investigating who introduced the monster as – and she quotes, quote-unquote, three-meter alien in Japan. Um, so in, in Japan, they know our monster as three-meter alien or three-meter tall alien. It dep- I don't know exactly how it translates, um, but they associate it with that picture. And um, she said that that picture traumatized many Japanese children in the 1970s. Um, but she said that it was in uh, a book – uh, that was uh, written in books, um, sorry, uh, books, um, you know, it, the, the the monster was written about by an author named Hiroshi Menamiya Maya, I cannot, I can't say it, so I'm not going to even try, but the first name Hiroshi, um, he wrote a lot of UFO books and articles for children of the time, Um and it said that in his first book, oh golly, I'm not going to be able to say this, Sikaya, anyway, in his first book written in 1968, 
um, it introduced this story to Japanese children, and she thinks that this is one of the first times, if not the first times, that the Japanese public at large ever was introduced to the Flatwoods Monster. But then she went on to read um, that uh, a UFO researcher who lives in Japan um, wrote a book, I think called The, the Humanoids, uh, the book was Flying Saucer Reviews, The Humanoids. This was 1966. So it appears that, um, you know, because the, the, there's a big, I don't know if it's an underculture or if it's if it's part of the main, you know, mainline culture of Japan that's really into these, you know, myths, monsters, ghosts, folklore, you know, that sort of thing. So they keyed really hard into this. I don't know if it's just the story or the imagery, really early on in the 60s. And it just became this kind of presence in that uh, subculture um, where the monster's likeness, uh, so not necessarily its character or the story, but the likeness was used in many um, like animated TV shows, um, in uh, various video games, like if off the top of my head, two I know of that were produced in Japan, one for Nintendo NES and one for Sega Genesis. Um, so it's just been like this thing that they could easily plug in if they need a monster or a creature. They just basically use the form that's in this poster, but not necessarily the story. So I think the story is playing catch-up to the image in Japan. But there's toys, you know. That's another thing you mentioned in our in our museum. We have like at least four or five different iterations of the Flatwoods monster made by, you know, completely different production companies and artists. So it's not like it's one person that got real into it and made, you know, four different four or five different iterations. It's one company making their own iteration and another one making their other one. And I'm sure anybody that's real familiar with toys would know the company Bandai, uh, which is a very famous Japanese toy company. And we have figures of the Flatwoods Monster made by Bandai um, in, on display at our museum. So it's just it's just incredible. You know, it, it, it was... Um, it, you know, just in... A small rural town, you just don't expect to see, like, you know, walk into a you know, museum and, you know, you're kind of like, like, see all this, like, uh, Japanese writing. It's you know, nothing wrong with it. It's just, you, know, you just don't expect to see, no, you, expect you to expect see that. that. It's like, you know, where, but, but, you know, there's obvious, uh, Trans Pacific connection there that you know, it's a, a reciprocal admiration for uh, this event, and you know you also have on display uh, a uh, part of the tree uh, for, yeah. from which Braxy emerged and you know, revealed himself to uh the May family and uh Jean um who who all came up to Jean Lemon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it has 
that that piece of wood been tested for uh, like outer space contaminants or uh, radiation, something like that? No, not to my knowledge. Uh, Not to my knowledge has that ever been tested. Now, I will say um, I I couldn't tell you exact dates or who did it, but I have been told that the actual crash landing site, um, that that soil samples were taken and that, you know, radiological Uh tests were done, um, at the time, however, those were all done, as far as I know, by um, by by people there on, on assignment from the government. Um, so, of course, they're not going to give anybody local, you know, test results. It's going to be all internal. Um, oh, that just would... got you an NSA file for for saying <laughs> that. Well, that's that's very much public knowledge. Um, but you know, and whether that means that they did the research and and the testing, and they found nothing, or whether they found something, you know, in either case, they're not going to have any need or want to report back to, you know, a, a bunch of, you know, West Virginia residents that, you know, don't hold any other importance, you know, to at least to, you know, to the government or to anybody in Washington, D.C. So, um, so like I said, that's, that's another thing that I point at to where, you know, they could have found everything on that crash site, or they could have found absolutely nothing, and I think the response that we would hear would be exactly the same, and that's nothing. Um, so, you know, that's that's really not anything you could point at and get much from. Uh, but uh, there may have been some other tests done later on in the future, or later on, you know, coming forward into the future um, at the at the uh, crash site. But if there are, I've never seen any findings from those or reportings of those or anybody, you know, those have never came up to me. Um, and the, the the property has, you know, is and always has been um, private property. Um, I think there may have been a time under a particular ownership that maybe access to the land may have been a little bit easier than it is now. Uh, but like I said, it still would have been very much private and you'd have to get uh, – permission um but as far as i know now i don't know of anybody that's successfully gotten permission to be on the property you know within the last 20 years okay well once uh so we know about where the incident happened it's just private uh property you know i just want to stress that you know just you know, yeah it, I, you know, you just can't go out. Uh, 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 you know, uh, hopping fences and you know, trying try no, to get uh, right. to be, because you know it. You, know, you do have <clears throat> uh, maps at the museum of where uh, you know the crash. Or you know the incident happens. Uh, you, you also have all the chairs, uh, you know, yeah. locations around town. You know, so you know there are maps that people can follow to uh, relive this experience. Um, can can you tell us a little bit about the chair map and the, the chairs yeah. and uh, you know? Ha- and you know, c- coming back to the museum after after the visit. Okay. Well, uh, actually, my 
my board of directors, um, they actually had this plan going back well before I even joined the organization in 2013 of this idea to at some point it came into their uh, you know focus that that large oversized novelty chairs were a thing that people uh, you know enjoyed. So there was they had this idea that had sat on the back burner for years of making like a large oversized novelty chair in the shape and color scheme of the Flatwoods Monster. Um, although that's as far as it ever got, as far as I know. Um, and another um, idea that it sat on the back burner was having some sort of sculpture somewhere that showed the Flatwoods Monster. Well, um, not too long after I came on board, I kind of, I kind of tried to look at. I started with the sculpture because uh, I wanted to kind of see about the feasibility of having a sculpture made. And um, sculptures made out of you know metal uh, or any sort of traditional you know things that you make large outside sculptures out of are incredibly expensive um, to the point where even trying to come close to it would be at least a, a year's budget. You know, a completely mm-hmm. the year's budget, which means you know there's no employees, there's no building, uh, there's no nothing, uh, there's no activity. It's just doing that. Um, so it it was not feasible at all. So we kind of left that. Well, at some point, I came up with this idea of kind of combining those two ideas, and by doing like a large, oversized novelty chair, but really, I mean, really doing large. So. I came up with this pr- proposal to do these 10-foot-tall chairs, 10-foot-tall and 4 feet wide, and to not just do one, but to do many, and which ended up turning into five, and place them all over the county. So that way it becomes this thing that's a little bit bigger than just like one novelty chair sitting somewhere that's maybe not tremendously big. Um, so then it kind of folds them into one. Um and uh, making a chair out of wood is far it's expensive but it's far more cost effective than trying to make a sculpture. So um so getting into 2015 is when we started really um you know trying to find places to put these and uh finding a uh, place there's uh, finding a builder that could build them for us and um and then start placing them. So slowly over the next 2 years we ended up uh, building, placing, and painting five uh, monster chairs all over Braxton County. And uh, on our website, um, if you visit, like I said, Braxy.com or FlatwoodsMonsterMuseum.com, you'll be able to find, um, you know, maps for the um, uh, the monster chairs. And we do have a printed map in our museum that shows them so that way people come to the area that either don't want to look at their phone or maybe don't have good uh, cell signal everywhere can just take it and run with it Uh, but we do have in a vague very vague placement you know where the monster sighting took place but we don't you know we don't have the address or even the road Uh, you know we try to keep that as vague as possible just to just so that we don't appear to be encouraging anybody to trespass. Uh, that doesn't keep people from trying because, unfortunately, this info is you know, all over the Internet, not just on our website, that's for sure. Um, but, um, but yeah, so we, we try to give kind of a vague idea. That way, if they're in the town of Flatwoods, at least they know, oh, well, I'm pretty close because uh, Flatwoods isn't very big, um, not by any stretch. So if you're in Flatwoods, you're pretty close. Um 
But yeah, so um, we have them strewn all about. There's one in downtown Flatwoods. There's one in between Sutton and Flatwoods on your way to the Sutton Lake. Um, there's one at Hollygray Park, um, which is on Airport Road. Um, there's one located at the um, Great Bed and Breakfast and Restaurant Cafe Semino uh, in Sutton. And there's one more. Oh, there's one more at the Elk River Camp and RV, which is located along the Elk River going toward Gasaway, um, which is a it's a campground and an RV RV park. Um, so uh, so not only are you know just if you just want to visit five monster chairs and have a good photo op, there's that, but there's also kind of a side uh, plot that you can run with these chairs and that is if you visit visit them all and take a picture at each one of them and then come back to the museum and sort of flip through your pictures and show them to us <clears throat> we'll give you your free Braxy sticker which is the only way you can get one um so if you if you like our free Braxy sticker that's on the door of our museum and you want it that's the way you can get it you can try to bribe whoever's working but they've been given explicit instructions not to sell them they're only to earn um so if you want to take the free Braxy Challenge, which is, uh, you know, taking your picture at each Flatwoods Monster Chair and helping uh, keep the uh, the memory of the Flatwoods Monster alive, you know, you'll earn your free Braxy sticker for you and everybody in your party. Cool. Okay. And you just mentioned the, the Elk River. Um <laughs> Okay, that 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 runs uh, right behind, uh, you know, the uh, museum. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you, I know it's in uh, mentioned in um, as the the location, I, I I think it's where Buffalo Bill first or. Uh, he, yeah, it was his first victim that he weighted down, but she she became yes, in the silence of the lambs. Yeah, yeah, in, in the silence of the lambs. Uh, okay, so what's uh, we have uh, Braxy showing up in 1952 <laughs> near to the Elk River and showing yeah. up in Thomas Harris's Silence of the Lambs and what like uh, 35 or so. <laughs> Years later, what uh, what's in the water there? As far as I know, mostly trout and musky, um, <laughs> but uh, and maybe some bass. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah, I know that. Um, as far as I know, the uh, the Silence of the Lambs story and Buffalo Bill in particular, and his story was based around the real life uh, murderer Ed Gein, who was from Texas. Um, so I don't know, uh, you know, if you're trying to pull some things from real life but then fictionalize it. Um, I don't know if just West Virginia seemed interesting to him or appealing. Uh, but as far as I know, nothing uh, associated with murders or, um, you know, anything like that involving the Elk River um, have any bearing on reality, uh, but rather, you know, the fiction of the book. But, yeah, I've always been intrigued by that, and I, I really wish in the book – um, they were more clear on a, a specific location because whether or not it's fiction or not, I, I'm sure that the county of Clay would love a place to put up a sign, you know, for fans of the books to come visit. Uh, but yeah, it's only ever I think 
it's only ever vaguely mentioned as the Elk River in, I think, Clay County, um, which is that's a little bit more southern to us. The Elk runs through, um, starting in uh, Webster County, going through Braxton after the Sutton Dam, and then um, into Clay, and then finally in Kanawha County where it meets the Kanawha River um, in uh, the West Virginia's capital, Charleston. Um, but yeah, as far like I said, as far as I know, uh, there's nothing associated there. However, we do have some. I think they're called blue crane. You know, we have some crane along the oh. Elk River that are quite. Um, uh, there's something to see in person. Um, I mean, if you're looking at a picture, it might not be very impressive, but in person, they're very impressive. I've seen them a lot kayaking uh, the Elk River, and uh, I think that also occasionally uh, bald eagles are seen uh, on the Elk River. Um, but hopefully. Uh, not too many, you know, cut up and taxidermied bodies from, you know, semi-cannibals. <laughs> Hopefully we'll keep those to a minimum. Okay. So it, you know, the, um, you know, what, uh, Quantico is uh, in the D.C. area, the movie... The Mothman Prophecies starts in D.C. Uh, and, and you know Richard Year ends up in uh, Point Pleasant. Uh, yeah, that's the movie version. It's not uh, you know more of the John Keel semi-autobiography or bi- yeah. biographical book. But yeah. You know, we got together again at the Mothman uh, Festival last month. Um, yeah. Okay, we have the, these two West Virginia uh, monster cryptid uh, mystery. I, I don't know what. You know, uh, I don't know UFO cryptid. I, I I don't know if there's really a comparison between the two, you know, other yeah. than you know, just saying monster. But they're right. appearing uh, what 14, 15 years apart, so, so somewhere in that distant uh, yeah. time period. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, is there any kind of Connection, uh, something in you know, like one of Keel's theories about you know, all this stuff is connected, but you know we don't really understand it. In interdimensional travel, yeah, do, right. uh, yeah. Do you have a theory on anything like that based on you know, yeah, you're talking to Steve Ward and you know, Bill or uh, you know Brent Rains too, and all the other speakers. Yeah, I'm. I'll be honest with you. I don't really, I don't really know. Like whenever I think about the, I, I would say if there's a connection, that's there's not an obvious one. Like you said, the the time span between is different, and uh, you know, as far as I could tell, the Flatwoods Monster incident was an isolated incident. Even even if it took place over you know slightly different places in geography and slightly different places in time. It's still you're looking at you know no no bigger diameter and size of maybe 20 miles like its circumference inside as far as I know of with the possible exception of Bashful Billy which of course is 
bigger. Butch is in Wheeling, but still in the same state. Um, and by the way, the crow flies, you know, not too terribly far away. Uh, but time-wise, you know, everything is within days. Um, mm-hmm. And then as far as similar-sided creatures, it really doesn't extend out from that. Whereas Mothman, you know, once he was seen, he didn't stop being seen, uh, or at least it seemed that way. I mean, many, many, many reports, especially a rash right. around the time and around that location, whether it's Point Pleasant in West Virginia or nearby Gal Police in uh, Ohio. Um, and then, of course, there's been some, you know, I know more in in you know, supposed you know Mothman type sightings in West or in in the United States, and then some abroad. So it just seems to be this thing with Mothman that it's almost maybe ongoing, or, or it's a phenomenon that's that's ongoing. Um, so there's a little bit of of that that kind of makes it seem dissimilar. Um, but then also, um, it, but there seems to be a a, a far maybe a more ethereal nature. Um, to Mothman that really has ever been reported with um, uh, Flatwoods Monster. So, but yeah, I suppose there could be um, a connection if there is sort of an interdimensionality aspect um, to either of them. The only the only other things that come to mind as far as a you know sort of a real true to life connection that you can really put your finger on is the uh, uh, professional skeptic um, Joe Nickel, um, he hypothesizes that actually both the Flatwoods Monster and the Mothman are the same thing, and that is a misidentified barn owl. So that's one connection that I know exists, whether uh, you know anybody likes it or not, or whether anybody thinks he's correct or not, which uh, you could totally debate. I mean, you really can't the bur- the you know there is no proving either or at this point, uh, but I know that that is his hypothesis for both um, that mm-hmm. both the Mothman and the uh, Flatwoods Monster were both misidentified barn owl. Okay, it's kind of like the uh, uh, Sandhill Crane that um, uh, you know it seems a bit of a stretch as. Mm-hmm. Uh, an explanation for Mothman. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, I, I don't know if I really believe that one. Well, especially, but, uh, you know, one of my favorite um, instances the of the... Uh, yeah, yeah, one, one of my favorite um, uh, the retellings of the Mothman, uh, or experiences of the Mothman, um, I can't remember the man's name or exactly when it happened, but the witness that claimed to see the Mothman standing beside his bed in the middle of the night um, and appearing as, or at least to him, being a, a demonic presence. Um, you know, that sort of thing, that's, that would come, you know, that's obviously not a barn out. But at, at that point, you're making, you're, you'd have to make another um, skeptical conclusion, which, you know, you'd be, you, you could, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, that would definitely be a case of not a barn out. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think there's a little bit more going on than, uh, you know, the regular uh, fauna in 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 the area. But uh, you know, we'll save <laughs> save that for 
for for later. Um, okay. Yeah, and it, you know, and j- j- just to <clears throat> pick up on uh, well, a subject that's uh, a uh, what. Uh, more contemporary with Mothman, but it it is more of a regional case with um, the Flatwoods Monster in- incident. Uh, it, it, you know, there's the Kecksburg mm-hmm. incident that was, uh, you know, Giorgio Sukulis came, you know, came out in uh, like southeast of uh, Pittsburgh uh, to investigate. Um, this with uh, I think Stan Gordon. Um, yeah, no, Stan and, Gordon has done it, a lot of investigation there. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, you know it's probably a uh, be considered a regional uh, UFO uh, case. Yeah, it's uh, about thirteen years after. Um, you know the Flatwoods monster monster incident, but it, it's uh, uh, only a, a year or so prior to the Mothman. So you, you know, mm-hmm. I actually have those three, uh, you know, better known incidents, uh, regional incidents. Uh, uh, yeah, not all that far apart. Um, yeah, no. It, it, it is, it, you know, there's, uh, you know, the Kecksburg craft was, what, more of like a, a bell-shaped? Um, yeah. It, 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 you know, that's different than what is kind of the general impression of the Flatwoods, uh Craft, if that's really what was uh, seen. So, it, it, yeah, do you have yeah. any kind of view on commonalities there? Is it more uh, differences? Um, I think, other than, you know, I spoke earlier about how the only, um, you know, descriptors I've ever heard concerning any sort of craft possibly seen at the landing site at, you know, Flatwoods Monster was this sort of uh, round, you know, almost, or, you know, organic, smooth shape. You know, the Kecksburg um, vessel also seemed rather organic and smooth in nature. I believe it's also kind of been described as almost like an acorn. Um, mm-hmm. So definitely not, you know, perfectly round by any stretch, but still round-ish. But yes, uh, having some sort of writing or hieroglyph type figures around the outside of it but you know a thing that i often think about when concerning sort of different types of these vessels you know uh, a a person that actually you would think he would have came to my attention long ago but just within the last year or so uh, that's came to my attention that i've been looking into a lot was um or is uh bob lazar um you know with his uh, you know, story of you know supposedly that he was a worker at Area 51, 
and if you if you buy that, you know his um, his his accounts. You know he refers to seeing eight different, I believe it's eight, eight different styled crafts um, in different in eight different hangars um, at Area 51, and all of them looking different, um, and that he really only got to have any sort of intimate knowledge with one. Um, but not, you know, none of the others. He, I believe, he mentions in his interviews that he only got a glimpse of all of them all at once because all the doors between each hangar were happened to be open, and you could see through and see them all. Um, so, like I said, if you can take him at his word, um, you know, it would it would tend to suggest that that the make, almost like the make and model of these crafts, vary greatly. Uh, maybe almost to the point of how our vehicles, you know, vary greatly. You know, a UPS truck and a, uh, you know, a motorcycle are very different, but they'll both get you down the road. So, you know, I don't know if that's the sort of thing that we're looking at. I mean, it would stand to reason, um, I think, um, that the variety would be just as vast as anything that we can do. Um, so, you know, I don't know if there's anything like that. And then like you talked about, um, earlier, the Arizona lights, uh, to where the, and, and other light formations like that, where they, uh, you know, theorize that these are like maybe triangular vessels. So, you know, there's the cigar, there's the teardrop, you know, all these different mm-hmm. sort of formations that people see. Um, so I don't know. I just think maybe the Kecksburg crash, maybe he was flying a Toyota and, you know, the Flatwoods monster was flying a Ford, and they just don't look the same. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 it's just, just some interesting things to ponder from you know, areas that uh, had something very unusual, but yeah, you know, they, they they aren't all that far apart. No, just, no, they are not. It, 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 uh, and uh, as you know, as preparing for the show, I, you know, I was looking for some patterns from you know, last night's really uh, interesting interview. Um, I don't know how many there, you know. There are from England and uh, Flatwoods. Um, yeah, there, there's doesn't seem like there's really a time pattern, uh, other than there's a clump of sightings, you know, within the like a same 24-hour period. But you know, Roswell's five years earlier, and you know, Kecksburg's. Uh, thir- 1314 uh, Rundlesham is in 1980 I, I, it, there's not really a time pattern but th- there's some something about the area that is drawing <clears throat> anomalous events and you, know, you do have uh uh, Rosemary Allen Guiley's book on e- UFO uh, cryptids at, on, on say what the museum 
Um, mm-hmm. did, I, I haven't had a chance to uh, read that, but I, I'm sure she thoroughly investigated a, a number of um, it, 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 these un- anomalies within the state. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, do, do you, you know, ha- have much to say about that? You know, have you read the book? No, I actually haven't had, had a chance to read it other than I shouldn't say not read it, but you know, not really in depth. I've, I've okay. thumbed through it uh, a time or two, uh, but not to to great detail. Um, but yeah, it, there is an odd. Um, it, it's possible that maybe I just feel this way because I live in West Virginia, so my exposure level would be far higher. But it feels like um, West Virginia, excuse me, pardon me, has a disproportionate amount of paranormal slash just strange things uh strange creatures strange phenomena uh, activity that really it seems like too high um in a lot of ways like you know we've talked about you know, the flatwoods monster and the mothman having two very prominent uh I, I mean i guess that's a relative term but you know prominent um you know stories that took place in in west virginia uh, where you know, there's probably some states that don't have anything like that, um, and then of course you know the lesser known um, story of the Grafton monster that also you know was seen in, in Grafton, I believe in I want to say 1964. Um, you know the seven foot tall white thing with broad shoulders that didn't seem to have a head. I mean that's crazy. Um, so and that stirred up a town for weeks. You know that involved you know posses with pitchforks and guns and, um, you know, torches and the like. So um, it's just an odd thing that uh, West Virginia seems to be so inundated with the bizarre uh, and the creepy and the, uh, you know. So I don't know. I don't know what to account for that. Must be in the water. Perhaps. You know, and Barbara, you know, when we've had uh, Jason Gerald as a guest, you know, we've covered the unusual number of giants found yeah. just in this uh, small area of the Kanawha River Valley in the South Charleston, uh, South Charleston area, and, and you know, three were found just in one mound alone. That was all documented in you know the Smithsonian's. Uh, Yep. Bureau of Ethnology, publication number twelve. So yeah, you know, the, the, yeah, uh, uh, you know, that's just something. You know, we're gonna have to do. You know, we have like I don't know five five minutes or so left. But yeah, you know, that might have to be another show. Is you know, <laughs> uh, why is you know what's now the state of West Virginia having an un, unusual number of strange cases is is it the water i don't know i've been i've been sitting here the whole time uh sipping some so i hope not um but uh i yeah i don't i just i don't know uh it's very bizarre yeah and there's mounds um so not even just so the the giants thing is is odd too but then our uh, inordinate amount of burial mounds also seems kind of high too you know of course you have moundsville you know, named after the fact that there's a mound right beside the West Virginia Penitentiary, um, 
and you know the several mounds in the Canal uh, Valley area, like you mentioned. Uh, and I I can't think of any more off the top of my head, but I know that there's more uh, peppered around the the um, uh, the state. Um, mm-hmm. So that just yeah, I just don't know what it is. Um, it's it's odd. I don't know if it has to do with you know geology or if it has to do with remoteness or um, or what uh, you know what it is, but um, it's hard to say. Okay, and um, let's see. It, it, uh, you know, we're you know kind of winding down the you know the show. Uh, do you want to give you know, the um, you know Flatwoods Monster Museum uh, uh, website out again, and you know anything else you want to uh, uh, plug? Sure. Um, uh, yeah, if you want to find out more information about the museum or about the Flatwoods Monster as a whole, uh, visit um, FlatwoodsMonsterMuseum.com. Uh, that's our website. You know, if you forget all of this stuff or the handles on YouTube and or you know YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, um, you know, just Google search Flatwoods Monster, and I'm sure we'll be the first you know in the first couple of results there. Um, so you can always trust you know use trusty old Google. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, for sure, follow us on Facebook uh, at Flatwoods Museum. If you just go up to the search bar and just search at Flatwoods Monster Museum, all one word, it'll pop up. That'll be the should be the one and only result. Um, and do check us out online at uh, flatwoodsmonstermuseum.com. And in that website, too, you can also find out more info about um, other, you know, area attractions or, you know, accommodations if you want to come visit, that sort of thing. You can find that there. Um, as well as um, some, speaking of other attractions, you know, if, you're, uh, if your listeners are into, you know, the weird and the unexplained, um, d- uh, definitely look into... Uh, the Heyman House, which is a supposedly you know, haunted house in Sutton, actually just about two blocks away from the Monster Museum, and they actually do tours um, quite often, so that might be something to look into, uh, the Heyman House. Um, and there have been, uh, I want to say, at least three different reports of Bigfoot sightings um, around and near the uh, Sutton Lake area, um, you know, going back in, you know, into the 80s, um, they've just recently surfaced, as far as I know, and and as far as you know, when I've been paying attention. Um, but uh, they're you know they're old accounts, um, so uh, and and I think some new ones too. So uh, you know, checking out the uh, the Sutton Lake for possible Bigfoot activity might be a uh, something else that you may be interested in as well. And you should be able to find you know info on all those things on our on our website, um, uh, Braxy dot com. Or flatwoodsmonstermuseum.com. Okay, and uh, you, know, you can see dramatic recreations on uh, you know the Project Blue Book TV series, and you might be able to see uh, more about Braxy and the Mothman on the what, uh, what was it the, the the Fallout 76 video game? Is that the right yeah, one? yeah. The, Yep, Fallout 76, a video game that was released last November. Um, it takes place all in the state of West Virginia. Um, I believe it's like the fourth Fallout game. Um, but uh, the Flatwoods Monster is a creature that you can fight and kill. 
in uh, Fallout 76, uh, as well as uh, Mothman. Um, and, and then not to mention, uh, you know, Grafton Monster, uh, the Giant Sloth, you know, other things that call Flatwoods Mo- or that call West Virginia home. So if you're into that sort of thing, yeah, check it out. Okay, and and if you want to stop in and pick up their own uh, uh, the, the ceramic uh, candle uh, uh, what do you what do you call it? Yeah, the, the lanterns. Uh, yeah, yeah, the lantern. Uh, that, uh, that, that's where I was looking for. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, uh, we have yeah. ours proudly displayed uh, next to the TV. So, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have really those, and there's that. a real interesting story about that. I'm sure we don't have enough time to get into it, but if you're interested in the the story of the the Flatwoods Monster Lanterns, uh, we actually have a page dedicated to that on our website, and I'm actually working on a uh, short documentary about the history and the production of those because it's rather interesting. They actually go back into the late '60s, which for a novelty item that has to do with you know the strange and the paranormal coming out of Central West Virginia. It's that's kind of odd and a story all in itself. Um, so I hope to have that finished before the end of the year and released. It'll just be released on YouTube and like through our website and Facebook and stuff. So it'll be free to free to watch and and uh, that sort of thing. So so that's something else to, to look forward to. All right, cool, cool stuff. Uh, uh, Barbara, do you want to cut, cut, come in and? Yeah, step in and uh, wrap up the show for us. You know, I think we're actually finishing uh, maybe like a minute or two ahead of time, so I'm not going to get in trouble with the Blog Talks English Robo Babe. So, uh, yep, you're absolutely right, and I do thank both you and your wonderful guests for all of the information. We certainly are going to be looking forward to checking out monsters all over the place here. Um, but it's fascinating, and it's it's really quite amazing at how um, these kind of legends start and and are carried out, and and in many ways become a part of our history, which is rather fascinating. So, thank you everyone for listening. We really appreciate your being with us tonight. This will be up on YouTube, and uh, if you re-listen to it, please, 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 please uh, subscribe so that we can let you know when other fascinating shows like this one are going to be on. So for now, good night, everybody. Thanks so much for being with us. We really appreciate your listening.